The following is not intended for younger audiences. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dune One, Richard. And I'm, uh, I'm Dune Two, um, occasionally Duncan Idaho. <laughs> occasionally? Occasionally. <laughs> is it when you have a beard? Yes. <laughs> it's, when, it, it's when I have a beard and then I see Gifford and I go, I'm a boy! And then you just like pat him on the arm and you're like you, you're getting some muscle there and he's like am i no <laughs> <laughs> and then you just pat him and then you walk away no my man <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> anyway yes welcome yeah I, dude blood richard two dude two joe <laughs> yes yeah just uh <laughs> in case this is your first uh foray into this show you know what I will say, like, like, if this is your first foray, this is a shtick that Joey's been doing a lot lately, and so I'm just wondering if, at least for one episode, he just sticks with the name he comes up with, and then I just call him that the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like some offbeat reference to a movie, and, and I just go, all right, Cletus, um, <laughs> let's talk about this movie today. <laughs> oh... My God, I'm I'm due to Raleigh Beckett. <laughs> Listen, Raleigh. <laughs> no, I gotta go, Raleigh. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm gonna dump you like a bunch of kaiju shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, two dudes, one double feature. Talk two films. You know the drill. If you've seen this, sh- if you listened to this show before, um. You know, mm. yeah, it's 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 what it is. It's very self-explanatory. But um, uh, welcome to 2022. Even it's it's 2021 for us. But when you listen to this, it'll be 2022. For those of you in the uh, future, yeah. how does it feel to see a new world? Hopefully, <laughs> how does it feel to still be in a pandemic? Man, sad. Uh, but you know what? We're 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 a couple of boosted boys. We yes. are. Yes, we are. We both we both got our boosters. So, um, as we as we say, whenever something like this happens, as we've had to say lately, uh, be safe. Wear your mask. Get the get the vaccine, please, please, and thank you, because we're we're very close to a two year mark. It would be nice to end it at some point. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it is twenty twenty two. It's uh, we're back to our regular schedule. If you haven't listened to any of our holiday episodes, give them a listen. We had a lot of really fun stuff. We talked about uh, Die Hard, 
It's a Wonderful Life. We talked about Santa Claus movies. We had some guest hosts talk about Spider-Man movies. Yes. Um, by far, my most anticipated Spider-Man related thing of that week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, before we before we really dive into 2022, this episode is sort of like our our look back on some of the movies that we did see that came out last year that we really liked. Um, but I must ask first, as always, how you doing, Duncan Idaho? Occasionally, you know, Dune one. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, not bad, not bad. Um, I'm really happy for Mike because his semester is done finally. Woo! So that's uh, that's good. Uh, you know, not that much longer till Christmas break, which is, um, which is nice. And I finally, finally got the Citizen Kane 4K in the mail after so long. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, you broke the disc too, that whole thing. I did, which is, it feels like such a weird ritual to do because like, as you know, I've been collecting Criterion for uh, more than a decade and it's just so weird to to cut up something that's normally such like a a high watermark for uh for for physical media but mm-hmm. you know but i i sent it in they received the email so just gotta wait for that the good news is the 4k disc uh itself is is usable and uh the bonus discs are usable which are the main things i wanted to check out because you know, it's one thing to have it on Blu-ray. I have the movie on Blu-ray and digital and all that, but I wanted to see the new bonus features, um, which is what I was most mm-hmm. excited about. My only complaint with the packaging is I wish it was a press and click thing instead of the disc sliding in and out. And sometimes I wouldn't have a problem with that. Like some, like I have the Star Wars movies and that the, the complete saga in quotes where it's like a slide out mm-hmm. thing, but at least it's easy to get the discs out. With with this, there's like because of the, like the lift off in the middle of the packaging, it's weird. You have to bend it a certain way, I think, just to get them out. Yeah, and it makes me feel weird. Yeah. Um, but other than other than the packaging, uh, other than the packaging not being overly practical, uh, definitely one of my favorite discs of the year. So I'm just glad that uh, that I have it. How are nice. you? How are you? Uh you know, I'm all right. I mean, obviously, at my work. We got Spider-Man coming out this week, which is a huge endeavor. Um, I mean, as I've said before, I work in a movie theater. I'm not going to say where. Um, and we've been gearing up for Spider-Man. I mean, obviously, we've had to deal with employee shortages like a lot of places these days. Um, but they've they've basically hired so many people. Like, it's kind of insane um, to the point where... I think I think we we we'll, we should be fine if we like overstaff, but it's just going to be so uncomfortable seeing that many people. It's going to literally be like how it was before um, things started like shutting down and everything because the pandemic. So I don't know how comfortable I'm going to be, but I'll be there. I'll be working that movie. So on that note, um, if you're if you're going to see Spider Man this weekend, not that it matters now because again this will be listened to well after it's been out but um no i'll say it like this if you went to see spider-man if you went to see it that weekend or this coming weekend for us now um i hope you were kind to the people at the movie theater because 
they're probably dealing with shortages. They're probably dealing with um, having to to hire so many people at once. People that have never worked at a movie theater, who've probably worked at a movie theater, but never have worked at a movie theater in this capacity, because like we've had people who've worked at the movie theater for maybe a year now, but have never had to deal with like that sort of heavy traffic with a movie, because they've had the luxury of uh, health requirements and being uh, like at only half capacity for a short period of time. So I hope you were kind yeah. to, to your movie theater employees. And I hope you continue to be kind to anyone uh, who's working customer service because they're probably dealing with a lot of nonsense and have probably just got done dealing with a lot of nonsense after the holidays. So just be kind to them. And, um, in, and I'm sure in a lot of cases, certainly not getting paid enough to deal with your nonsense. Like, Yes, you know, hundred percent. So just just keep that in mind <laughs> as well. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, I've just been all right, just kind of chilling, trying to get some Christmas shopping done. Um, I have I have one thing coming in the mail tomorrow, so and I'm really nervous about it because I bought it off of someone online. So we'll see how that works out. Right. Um, I watched. Uh, speaking of 2021 movies, because that's what our episode's about, I did see two movies recently, mm. um, both with very different reactions. <laughs> that I, <laughs> um, the first one was Dear Evan Hansen, which I, I've talked to you about uh, watching this one already. But uh, um, this is one of those movies that, I mean, obviously so many people have said stuff about it, has so many like memes and so many things about it. And also it has a lot of attention because it was a big musical uh um, in like early 2010s, you know, there are people, a lot of fans of the musical and whatnot. And I went into it in the similar way that I went into watching Cats with you. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but there was an episode like early, early on on this podcast where we just talked about Cats, the movie, and how, how terrible it was. <laughs> and um, like just wanting to see the train wreck that is Cats. And so I sort of went in with that same mentality, given what I'd heard about it. And contrary to maybe popular belief, I don't really get offended by movies all that much. I mean, I'll, I'll notice things that are offensive or I'll, or I'll make fun of it. Like I talk to Joey all the time about like older movies that have very dated views on things. And I'll sort of make fun of it. Even movies like Rocky, which has like its whole like dated view on things and how like Rocky and adrian became a thing um so i i'm not like i'm i wouldn't look at it and say i'm i'm entirely offended but i can definitely look at it and make fun of it for being something that's dated and sort of awful yes but dear Evan hansen was a movie that genuinely offended me like it like because i i'm someone that deals with severe anxiety and depression if you haven't figured that out by now uh <laughs> um and so and the whole the whole premise of Dear Evan Hansen is based on this idea that like people like me, out of nervousness and out of fear of rejection or being judged, they'll make up little white lies about themselves. They'll make up little things to make people maybe more comfortable with them or like them more. I've done this a lot, especially when I was younger. I did this all the time and it never worked out. It never was a good choice. I never was myself. It was sort of like a self-loathing thing that I wasn't comfortable enough with myself to to be honest with myself and i just don't recommend it at all and i understand the compulsion especially if you're someone like me but at the same time it's not worth doing um and this movie bastardizes 
that concept and tries to make a movie that is trying to like put a spotlight on mental health and mental illness and trying to have some sort of uplifting message and it doesn't it's like like because the whole the whole premise is evan hansen writes these letters to himself and it's like a it's like a therapy thing and um this bully finds it a bully that gets the letter um finds the contents of it upsetting to him and thinks evan's saying mean things about him when evan's not trying not at all and uh the next day you find out that the bully killed himself and um the parents find the letter and think that the bully wrote the letter to evan because they they didn't know that the bully had any friends and they think evan was the one friend the bully had and so jump to um uh like later in the movie i guess the whole plot throughout the movie is um evan just being too nervous not to tell the truth going along with the lie and then getting all these things that he wanted out of it like um admiration um uh people noticing him the girl he has a crush on like actually liking him romantically and all of these things he gets based on a lie like i think david chen put it really well when you uh watch the trailer and you see all those uplifting moments in the trailers those are all things that come about because of something because of something evan lied about or because of something evan said and it just feels like like a really sort of misleading messed up kind of really offensive way to portray someone with with mental with mental illness the only the only time the movie actually did something i think somewhat decent is when they started to portray that there were other people that were going through similar situations as evan like there was this like sort of valedictorian girl who was also dealing with depression and anxiety the bully himself but they barely focus on these characters like the bully is a plot device for crying out loud and it's kind of disgusting so I was genuinely like I was going through this movie and I'm like how did anyone like this? How could how could you like go through the plot of it and actually like it? And then the worst part of it is that I already have problems with the plot. I, I'm sorry for going on and on about this, but I already have problems with the plot. And it makes it worse when you're seeing Ben Platt who's not 16 years old, he's nearly 30 playing a 16 year old and they're trying so hard to make him look like a 16 year old and it just makes it that much more uncomfortable to watch. So it w- it went from going into the experience hoping to like maybe get a giggle out of it ironically and none of that happened i like i never want to see a poster for this movie i don't ever want to see i don't want to hear another song from this movie i don't want to be near this movie ever again like this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my entire life i and i don't i don't say that lightly you know like i'll joke about some of the stuff we've talked about on the podcast but at least I got some some entertainment, like the Star Wars holiday special. I got some entertainment out of it, at least. But with this, it's just it's not worth my time. That isn't to say that there are there aren't people that got something out of it. And if you did, fine, that's great. I didn't. Yeah. So, uh, that was all in one breath. I feel like. Um, <laughs> but on the, yeah, I, I it was a lot that I had to say on that. So I I do apologize, but. On the flip side of that, um, I did watch a movie that I know you love <laughs> immensely. Love this movie, and I definitely can see why. And I, I very much enjoyed it as well. Um, I just got um, Venom: Let There Be Carnage in the mail today. Yes, and like I have, I will say, I will, I will say, 
It's not a perfect movie. I have some issues with it. That being said, I wish more comic book movies did what this movie did. Or at least more superhero movies. Comic book movies is a very broad term, but maybe even that. Maybe even comic book movies. But um, it's it's so unique in a lot of ways. And I think it's mostly because it, it, it evokes a lot of stuff. Like, sort of similar to the original movie, but it evokes a lot of, like, stuff that was done with superhero movies in the 90s. Um, with sort of like a modern contextualization or like a modern sort of feel to it. And I, I very much appreciated that because it, it doesn't look like any modern comic book movie that I've really seen in a while. It doesn't feel like a modern comic book movie I've seen in a while. It looks amazing. Um, everyone's like having so much fun in it. It's a very entertaining movie. Uh, yeah. I, so, so at the very least of the two movies that I, I, I was just talking about, there's at least one that I very much enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, Ve- Venom Venom 2 is not Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> Thank God. You know what? I almost feel like maybe they dealt with some sort of mental health stuff better than Evan Hansen, potentially. <laughs> that is so... That's pathetic. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, one's... Like, Dear Evan Hansen is just a, just a movie trying to gaslight you into thinking it's trying to do something positive, and it's not... But at least with Venom, it knows what it is, and it's just like, we're a silly, stupid movie with these, like, this sort of romantic comedy between a, an alien and Tom Hardy, and I'm like, I like it. I think I'll, I'll fav- watch that. My favorite review was, like, everybody in this movie talks like they're, like, a 1920s gangster. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I'm like, yes, this is, this is great. <laughs> this is perfect. But, yeah. Um, anyways, anyway. Anyway, that's what I, that's what I've been doing lately, um, and I feel like it's we can move on now at this point. Um, sure, sure. So, again, talking about twenty twenty one movies, um, we like it's sort of been an interesting year because you know movie the movie business is starting to come back a little bit. Where we've been getting a lot more movies coming in theaters exclusively towards the end of the year. Um, I know Joey has seen a lot more movies in theaters this year than he did last year so it's probably felt like somewhat of a different experience i've seen a few movies this year in theaters i have one more movie i might be seeing in theaters coming up here pretty soon it has nothing to do with spider-man it has a lot to do with Guillermo del toro very excited for it i think we wanted to sort of take a step back and look at a couple of movies that um, we were both very excited about and both of these movies pleased us so much in so many ways they were just sort of like the perfect movies that we've been waiting to watch for a while. And this first film, which came out a little bit earlier than the second one, um, is a movie that Dude 2 loves dearly, has seen so many times, has bought so many versions and variations of, and uh, <laughs> and um, what would you call this... Uh, what would you say this movie is, Joey? What is? What are we talking about today? What is your favorite movie of last year? It's a masterpiece for one. That's uh, one of its uh, nicknames. But <laughs> <laughs> one of one of its nicknames, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that would be Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of Frank Herbert's seminal science fiction novel, Dune. Part one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dune. <laughs> Part one! Why? Why? 
<laughs> but yes, dude, dude, part one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, this, um, I feel like Dune was this year's Tenet. I can see, yeah, I can see that. It's definitely this, I, I don't think it pissed me off in any way, though, so that's good. No, because, like, you know, because last year, a big deal was made about, you know, preserving the theatrical experience. And, yes. you know, directors wanting to have their movies screen on the big screen in the middle of a, you know, on the pan, you know, and you could have your feelings on, listen, we went to Disney World in the middle of a pandemic, so we're not exactly like, <laughs> no, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're definitely not, but, you know, um, so I'm not going to touch into too much of that controversy, that side of the controversy. Um, what I will say is, um, I can't like, cause this came out simultaneously on HBO max and theaters for America, for, for North American audiences. This was not outside the U S that this was only in theaters, Yeah, but I cannot imagine seeing this movie for the first time on a TV screen. Like it is something that, that I hate to say, like it, it demands to be seen on the biggest screen you can see it on. Like, obviously like, yes, take safety into account try to see in the safest environment possible, all that stuff, obviously. Um, this was the one movie this year where I'm like, I knew I had to see this on the big screen for my first time. I could not imagine, because I think about, because he directed, Venlove directed one of my favorite movies of the last, you know, 20 years, Blade Runner 24. Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Which is which is an, exception, an exceptional, exceptional movie. One of the best movies I've ever seen. One of the best experiences I've ever had in a the theater. And so one of the best, was, one of the one of the few like sort of legacy movies to do much better than the original. Yeah, I would say in a lot of I ways, I think it's better than the first one. And the first one we I talked about it, lo- we did. Yeah, it was the fifth episode of our show. Is one of the first episodes. Um, mm. So I knew, like, with this one, I, and I'd heard about Dune vaguely before. Like, I knew about the David Lynch one, um, and I knew that it was based on on a book, and because of of things I had been hearing about with this movie, I decided I was going to read the book, which I never read. I never read. No, I don't want to say I never read because I do read. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like things with words in them. No, thank you. <laughs> letters? Letters? <laughs> All names are letters, dickhead. <laughs> um, no, but I read, the, I, I, listen, I should say I listened to the audiobook for Dune. Um, and which was definitely very helpful because it's a long book and there's a lot of characters and a lot that's going on. And I enjoyed the book. Um, I, I enjoyed the book. Um, there's definitely a lot in it. And um, I think, and there's also just a lot of reservations going in with this one because this is a two and a half hour movie. It's the first half of this Dune story. Like <laughs> when you see the title card, it says Dune part one in like little, 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 little text. Yeah. Little, little itty bitty text. And it's, and you're literally only getting the like. Is it even the first full half of the book, or is it sort of lead more? Like how much how much of the of the that book is portioned out for this first movie? I guess I feel like the first like good chunk of this movie is like the first third, and okay, um, the other stuff it it goes into like the second like because because the first book is split up into like three books. And, like, the end of this, like, the, I think the end of book one is more, like, where, like, the Atreides are betrayed, basically. Um, mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. And the and then we're in book two, where it's, like, you know, they meet up with the Fremen and on all that stuff. But, you know, 
this is, um, I mean, and Dune is one of those things where I feel like I hear it with like Watchmen and a couple other things. Sorry to go on for so long, but like I hear it amongst a, a number of other like literary titles where they say it's unfilmable. You can't make this into yeah. a movie. You can't make this into a live action adaptation because you would lose so much. Um, that's, I mean, there are things that are cut down for sure. And I'll get to that <clears> later, but I will say, I think this is the best adaptation you could have hoped for as a movie. I know some people wanted this as more as a mini series. Cause I know there was a Dune mini series many years ago. Was it James McAvoy was in it? I think. I th- yeah. Yeah. And yeah. my thing is like, I don't know. I think, I think I'd rather it be like this, like part, like I wish they had already filmed part two, you know, but I'd rather it just be a movie where they, they, they focus on the main things that they needed to, um, and, and they just do that. But Dune, in case you haven't seen this thing, uh, I have the, I have the voodoo description right in front of me on my TV. Dune tells the story of Paul Atreides. Read it verbatim. (laughs) Do it. Oh my god! Should I read it verbatim? I think you should. This this is the this is the way Voodoo describes what the plot of Dune is. All right, a mythic and emotionally charged hero's journey. Dune tells the story of Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding, who must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply, of the most precious resource in existence a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential only those who can who can conquer their fear will survive that's the whole description that was so compelling (laughs) it's just there's a whole lot of what i mean but (laughs) i don't need to watch the movie anymore that that was fine to, to break it down to break it down like dune you have paul atreides is played by timothy chalamet who is this? Who's the who, who's the heir? Who's the heir to to the Atreides uh, line? Uh, and his family has just gotten into this opportunity where they will now have the, the they will have the fiefdom of Arrakis, also known as Dune, where basically they they run the planet and they harvest its most valuable resource and the most valuable resource in the known universe, spice, which basically it can increase your lifespan. It can do all sorts of funky things. It's the only way. It's the only way galactic travel happens because you need the spice to be able to fold space and all this other shenanigans, um, and all that. But the, 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 there's also Dune is also has also been described recently as like Game of Thrones in space. So there's political intrigue involving Dune. Like, mm-hmm. That like, I can see the, that. You know, so it's like it's like Star Wars meets Dune. <laughs> Where there, there's like, there's I mean, other... Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. Yes, Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, and be, because you got the, you have the, the, the space stuff, but then with Game of Thrones, you have like these other families and other lineages. And I would say the Game of Thrones element comes way more in the book because like there's some characters in the movie that, like, I, I think about uh, David Dasmalchen and I think about, um, What's the actor's name? Why am I forgetting his name? Um, Which actor? Uh, I'm looking at it. Stephen McKinley uh, Henderson, who plays Howitt. And there's a lot more intrigue with those characters. Um, also, the dudes with, with the like the little tattoos on their lips. Yeah, the 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 supercomputer yeah. people. 
And there, there's a lot more, like, intri political intrigue stuff in the book, and there's more characters. But I feel like, again, for, for a two-and-a-half-hour movie, I feel like it, it got it got the elements that it needed to. Um, okay. But I want there's other elements I want to talk about, but I also want to hear your thoughts as somebody who never read the books and doesn't never have, read the books yeah has doesn't have near the same affinity for it you do because i do love the movie make no mistake um i think it was a great movie it's one it's one of the few movies this year i saw in theaters because i do agree with that statement but i also like got very a very unique circumstance in which i went and saw this movie um which feels like it's a lead into a story but it's not a story i'm allowed to tell so we're not telling it <laughs> He saw it in theaters. That's all you need to know. Yeah, saw it in theaters. Um, it was it was definitely a worthwhile experience in that. Um, it was. I mean, I've I've been a fan of Denis Villeneuve since Prisoners. I think. Mm -hmm. Great movie. Because that was that was a great great movie. Um, and then I I've seen pretty much everything he's done since. I've seen Sicario, which I loved. Um, Arrival, which is great, which you just watched for the first time, which surprised me. Arrival's, um, Arrival's fantastic, yeah. Arrival's very good. And then, of course, Blade Runner 2049. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about that one, obviously, but it's uh, it's amazing. And so I was already really excited to see what... I, I just knew he, it was Denis Villeneuve making some, like, political-esque space opera, which was already enough to be like, yeah, I don't care what it is, I'm, I'm going to watch it. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. I want to yeah. see this movie. And, I mean, the cast that he got was great. Um... So many, so many, like, like this is a stacked cast, honestly. You got Oscar Isaac um, and another space opera wanting to be a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you got uh, Aquaman, Jason Momoa himself, playing arguably one of the best characters. Got uh, Dave Bautista, um, Stellan Skarsgård, David Dismelchin, as we just talked about. Um, obviously, Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides. Uh, which you know we've he's no he's been on the show a couple of times I think now I think he, there was a whole episode he was in two movies because of Greta Gerwig yes uh, mm -hmm. um, Zendaya who's great Rebecca Ferguson oh, who is by far one of my favorites right now she's so good in like everything I just watched a movie recently with her in it um, like the kid that would be king or whatever it's a Joe Cornish movie um, and she plays. Um, what the heck's the character's name? It's uh like King Arthur's stepsister or whatever or half sister. I don't remember. Um, if you know your King Lar King Arthur lore, I, which I don't know much of it at all. Um, but she's in the movie. She plays the villain. She's she's a lot of fun in that. Um, <laughs> ooh, I heard a ding. <laughs> uh, Morgana. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes, that's who she plays. I appreciate that. Yep. Um. And she plays Rose the Hat in Doctor Sleep. She's very good in that. She's in uh, Reminiscence, uh, which Joey uh, just watched and enjoyed. Um, I liked it a lot. It was very good. Uh, we might talk about it. You never know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, But no, like the point is, it's a great, it's a genuinely great cast, and everybody's on board. Everybody's playing ball. Everybody's bringing their A game to all their characters. Oh, Javier Bardem. How did I forget? Freaking Javier Bardem. Like he's... one of the best introductions too. Like he literally just shows up. He looks. He looks great. He's got his blue eyes and he just spits. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, I'm going." <laughs> that that whole scene is is so good. But like the crazy thing with this cast is that 
90% of the main cast, they could all be like a lead in another movie. Right? Yes, all of them. I think that like you can find a movie with all of them as a lead. Like it's ridiculous. How I mean like, again, it's just such a great cast. Yeah, like they they really got like it's like Hollywood the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it, it makes me wonder like if they if they made this in like the like the fifties or sixties like who would they get like all these like top tar, top top tier like leading actors and actresses playing all these characters. It, I don't know if it'd have been as good because it'd just been a bunch of white people, but you know. <laughs> man <laughs> they, they still would have got some great actors though, i'm sure um yeah i mean it's and my here my main question for you is is you know because obviously i have a understanding of the book i'm not like a doom mm. expert but like i have but you but a, you but you literally had just read the book before seeing the movie yeah so it was I like fresh it was fresh and i i at least knew some of the terminology and stuff did anything like like throw you off really um not not necessarily i mean it it was one of those times where like when i was watching it in the theater specifically i'm watching it and like they're they're talking about all these things they're talking about the spice they're talking about the fremen they're talking about arrakis they're talking about uh house atreides and the harkonnen and all these different aspects of it and i thought it did a decent enough job to to explain that to someone like me who'd never read anything dune related like it doesn't tailor itself to any like one specific group necessarily um as far as like going into the movie so i think the only times i ever didn't pay attention to anything was like at times i was like thinking i kept thinking in the back of my head uh because i have an unfortunate history with falling asleep during during movies which i didn't do when i watched this i was very much clocked in and zeroed in with everything but um when it when it came to when it came to like some of the things like I that I wasn't paying attention to it, would, it was mostly because I went into my own head and I was like oh god am I gonna fall asleep this is like a two hour two and a half hour movie oh no but then I would come out and I'd be like oh, this is cool I'm like oh, this is really cool um oh and Josh Brolin ah oh, why did I forget Josh Brolin he's great he's in this oh he's great listen Josh Brolin could beat Thanos just saying. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but but no um i was i was very much um able to understand a lot of it and was very much into like everything um i think the movie was was friendly to people like me so i was appreciative of that my question to you my question to you um was there anything about the movie that you didn't care for because i know you i know like Ever since this movie came out, I know you as someone who like immensely loved it. Like I said, you had multiple. You you pre-ordered the the digital version. You got the 4K pre-ordered. You probably have the the pain box Walmart Blu-ray exclusive <laughs> pre-ordered. <laughs> you have all the you have all the action figures. One of which was provided by someone for Christmas. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> um. And so, like, I know, I know, like, basically you're a huge, you've become, like, a really big super fan almost. So is there anything about the movie that you personally think was lackluster or didn't work for you? Here, here's what I'll say. And, and what, what really surprised me immensely was that everybody was perfectly cast. Like, yeah. there's not one, like, um, one person I want to make sure we highlight because um, I know you asked me about negatives, but, like, 
I just hmm. wanted like how like there's this character. I'm, I imagine this is contextualizing what you're gonna say. You know, um, uh, what's her fa- sorry, uh, Sh- Sharon Duncan Brewster as Doctor Liet Kynes, who's a character hmm. who's a guy in the books and in the um in the '84 film uh was was uh was was played by Max von Sydow and uh she's fantastic you know oh no uh, she was good i liked she her was, a lot she was and she she's not somebody i've known in like a lot of things or anything like that cuz like this is like a a big cast with like a lot of like holly like big hollywood people you know and um she was great she and had like an, i liked her last defining moment that she had at the end which she put the thumper down and then the freaking sand was that is called is that is it called a thumper or what was it called the th- the, th- the thumper yeah the the yeah yes um that was cool I, I mean and uh like everybody was great i don't think as far as like the cast is concerned i thought everybody was was fantastic which i was i was concerned because like i'm like hmm you know I, I think one person i was thinking about was like timothy chalamet because mm-hmm. um I think Timothy Chalamet is a great actor, by the way. But like, I had I knew people who watched Dune before I did, and they were like, "This is the worst Timothy Chalamet performance ever." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh no, we're gonna be spending so much time with him in this movie." Is this, but, like, let's hopefully this isn't a John Carter situation where there's so much to love except for the central dude. <laughs> um. All right. So as far as stuff that okay, I don't want to say personally didn't care. I this is something that somebody brought up. I was listening to the commentary track in the 1984 Dune. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, this an Arrow Blu-ray is fantastic, by the way. And the guy brought up like the nineteen eighty four cast is very whitewashed, is very white. And he brings up like the new movie is an improvement, but the book Dune has a lot of has a lot of um, Arabic like North African influences. Like a lot of the names and stuff are very much rooted in that. Um, not mm-hmm. saying it's all of it, but it's a big it's a big part of it. And yeah, you know, you you maybe could have thought maybe we could have had more representation in that department. Um, you know, but it, that that's like maybe the biggest thing if I could change anything. But um, I try to think other things that like my other thing is I wish there was a part two. I wish I had part two now. Okay, it's just frustrating, because, like, I think about, I was watching Lord of the Rings with Mike. I was watching Bits and Pieces of Fellowship, which is a great movie. And you're, I'm watching this thinking, like, they had fil- they were filming the other, they filmed the other ones already. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that, they were all that, done. They were yeah. all done. This, they're like, they got to film next year, and it's like, are they going to make their 2023 deadline? I'm like, uh, you know, that it's like, it's frustrating in that level. Um, one thing I do want to bring up, though, that people ha- have brought up is that the people like to say this movie has no ending? This movie doesn't end. It's just a cl- yeah. It, it just drops off and it, it, it ends after Zendaya goes. Um, this has only just begun or something. It's so, only something the along beginning. Those lines. It's only yeah, the it's only beginning. the beginning. Which, which the moment she said that, I was like, okay, this is the end here. Mm-hmm. This is the cutoff point. Like, I think that was actually a nice like f- indication almost from Zendaya and that one line just like okay this is what we're cutting off because I, w- I will say watching it there's so many times I was like is this the end of the movie mm-hmm. yeah is this the end of the movie because I think I think that was another thing that I just kept thinking about knowing that it was a part one of however many parts this, this is gonna end up being right and just going like when is this end is, is this the end yeah is this the end and then when she said that I was like yeah and then credits started rolling I'm like yeah there you go. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like my thing was like I didn't want it to end. You know, it was one. It was mm. one of the. I think it was the best experience I've ever had in a movie. Was watching this in Dolby. That first screening, no, everybody was respectful. Nobody was talking. It, there was there was quite. It was a big crowd there too. You know, but but a lot of masks. A lot. Of, there were masks. Yes, a uh, person sitting next to me was wearing a mask, which is good. But like it was, it was strange. Strange to say, it was like the most. Nor- it was the first time I had like a normal movie going experience in quote unquote like pre pandemic esque movie experience in twenty twenty one. Like it was right. an opening night crowd, you know, like a lot of people and seeing a movie and um, they were all, like I said, they were all very respectful. Unlike other times where, where you're like, you see somebody's cell phone pop out somewhere. They got a baby in the theater or something. Freaking babies with their cell phones. But I, I like, like, all the, the other thing is too, like the way this movie ends too, because it like, it ends, it ends with, with, with Paul killing uh, Jamis. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, who the actor um, who plays um, Jamis Babs? Um, I'm gonna if I can get his pronunciation after this, I will put it in. But he's there's like Paul has visions of this guy, and he's he's great in those scenes. But it's also mm-hmm. just weird, like the ending triumphant thing for this character is this white guy killing this black dude. Yeah, but that's also again Dune is just such a weird property anyway because it's written by a white guy. And that's not to say that's not to say that Paul like they portray Paul Atreides as like a clean cut. Yes, I'm the goodest goody boy of all good boys. You know, like because because right. stuff happens in the book, and like I'm not, I don't want to say anything about Dune Messiah, which if they do a part three would be an adaptation of that. But it's 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 not exactly going to be like yeah. <laughs> and and the visions the visions kind of show some of that where there's some. You're like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> ah, all mm-hmm. these people are gonna die. <laughs> what? I like, I liked, I liked the, I liked the one flashback where uh, Timothy Chalamet is a Power Ranger. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like do- doing the like fighting style or whatever, the um, the weird, the weirding weird, or whatever, weird, weirding way. Um, I did like that. That was cool. And then um, uh, our good friend Wikey, shout out to Wikey, um, sent me a video. Of that scene, but with the Power Ranger theme. <laughs> oh my god! I was very, I was very pleased. It was, and it's such a great like theme song too. It's just, you know, and so like it was very rock and roll seeing that music attached to that moment. I was like, yes, and it wore and it matched like almost uh, rhythm r- rhythmically. So that was cool. Like the visions, I thought they did a good job at portraying too, and mm. just like and on like showing to people that like some of the stuff Paul thinks of can it can happen and is true but there's also some stuff there that you know he's not 100% reliable in that department either yeah but i also think too like there's so many great scenes that like i, I talk about all and wonder a lot in this re- in this review right i think mm. about the, the a few scenes i think about the scene where the herald of the change arrives where they're giving control of arrakis to the, the old Atreides. ship comes down and it's a lot of this is helped yeah. by um, Hans Zimmer's score, which Chef's Kiss, perfection. Um, and that whole sequence, it's, it could have been just a, like in any other movie, could have been just such a simple thing, but they handle it with such like pageantry, but like such like, ooh, wow, this is a big deal. Even if you don't know anything about these characters, you know this is a significant moment. And every like every shot, nothing is wasted in that scene. Um, I also think about, and this is a scene that almost made me cry when I was in the theater, which is a weird thing. When they first arrive on Arrakis, and they have the bagpipes playing, 
Yeah. It, it the felt like it felt like a triumphant like return to the movies. And I felt a like Atreides. Atreides. And, and then like you see like like Paul like meeting up with Howitt. And it feels like a video game like trailer where you're returning to a world. He's like, young master, how does it feel to be on a new world? And it's Hi! like, I'm like, I'm back at the movies. This is so nice that I'm not seeing a, a commercial for like 25 other shows. Even though Dune is going to get like a part two in a TV show. But still, it's so nice to see a real movie. Thank you. Thank you, Denny. Thank I appreciate you. you. Um, uh, that... But I, and, and um, I just love uh, the opening scene too, which made me th- again. I bring up Lord of the Rings, made me think of that. It explains everything cleanly. It's like, yeah. okay, you have the Harkonnens; they're bad. You got the Fremens, who are the indigenous people of Arrakis; they're in trouble. You, they're they're brave warriors, but they're still in trouble. You know, you got the pretty lady. You got Zendaya, the pretty lady, which of course Paul's gonna be like, ooh, pretty lady. And oh, Zendaya. <laughs> It's it's like it explains. You don't everything. need Malcolm. And I, I I also just like again like the world building is great too. Like the way they explain the shields, you know, the way they like with the visions and the Benny Jesseret, the still suits. Oh, the other scene I want to mention when the Benny Jesseret land on Caladan. Okay, and they land mm. on Caladan, and um, it's like something at ET. You know, with the lights and everything. Like you see the spaceship land, and you see the spaceship take off, and it's just like this foggy field. But it looks mm-hmm. so cool. Um, I also just love... Um, there's so many... I, I love every scene, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I love the scene where, like, you know, it looks like Duke Leto is, like, go, looking over the graves of all the different people on Caladan. And that whole sequence is so great. You, I remember you telling me when, 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 you first, when we were first talking about it that you loved how tangible things felt. Because, like, you know, these days, especially with blockbusters, like, you know... Not to just immediately dog on Marvel, which you know is just what we do. I think <laughs> it's just what happens. It's it's know? our job. Listen, we like a lot of Marvel movies. We talked about a lot of them on this show. Yes, but you know, if there's one thing that's very much true is that Marvel likes their their secrecy, which leads to uh, the decision to use CGI a lot, um, including CGI locations, CGI people, CGI everything. And so, unfortunately, whenever you have to deal with that. Um, like, I feel like I've gotten used to and I'm just, it's much more noticeable than ever in my entire life. Um, someone being placed in a fake background. Yeah. It's just so noticeable now. And I just sort of, it's sort of nice when you, when you look at something and you're fooled by it or they're in an actual location, which they, I think, I think they were smart with Dune and making a lot of practical aspects of it. Now, obviously there were so many things that they had to do that weren't practical, but at least they did their best to make things as tangible and practical as possible. And I remember that was a big thing for you as well. Yeah. I mean, cause it just felt like, it just felt like a real place. Like I felt like, I felt like Arrakis, I felt like Caladan and a lot of these places were shot in real location. Like there were real locations involved and stuff, but I'm like, these are real places. And it made me think of like Avatar, obviously realistically you wouldn't want to be in any fictional universe because there's a lot of danger involved especially (laughs) with dune but it's like it's it's so inviting and you're just like man this is just it's so i would love to ride a sandworm that one though not like a sandworm from like beetlejuice or something that's yes all right that that uh that one oh and then the other like uh the 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 sandworm rescue scene where they have to rescue the spice workers 
Mm-hmm. The that bit when they're like, when uh, the helicopter's coming up and um, uh, what's Josh Brolin's character's name? Like Gurney. Gunner or something? Gurney. Gurney. Mm-hmm. Gurney when he's when he's holding Paul and he, they're like hanging on as the thing is taken off and you just see like the sand being sunk like drawn and drained into the mouth of the sandworm that was really cool. I love I love that. Um, I just like that too when they're trying to escape it and it's like quicksand. It's literally like quicksand. They're like they're just like they're sinking and they're like shit. <laughs> and then you just see like this the the shaking. And then, um, or even just the bit when the sandworm first pops his head out and looks at Paul. Like I know it's in the trailer, but it's still a nice moment. It is, especially when you see it on the big screen. It's such a, it's such a big, um, it's such a big thing. And mm-hmm. there, there's so many. I could talk. I could spend like spend so much time. Just, just so much in this. Like visually, visually, it's stunning, which is obviously like one of its biggest strengths, of course. But like you have that cast. And I think the characters are all very well-defined. The characters that you need to know are well-defined. Paul, you know, is the young hero who has um, a lot of responsibility, but he's got a lot of, like, destiny, a lot of potential, right? Mm. Um, Rebecca Ferguson and, and Oscar Isaac as as Lady Jessica and Duke Leto are, like, the big, the best helicopter parents ever. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, like, and, um... Uh, Jason Momoa is Duncan Idaho. Uh, He's like the cool uncle. He is so cool. Like every scene, you love him. And my mom was so upset when he gets killed. Like she was watching this movie and she was like, oh, "No, why do you have to go?" <laughs> but listen, you could have changed it if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, Freaking Denny, you could have changed it. I'm just saying. You know, and uh, Stellan Skarsgård. You know, he doesn't have a lot of scenes in this movie, but. As as stands as Baron, out as, as Vladimir Harkonnen, he is exceptional, um, and I love, <laughs> of course, as we've said many times, I love the seed where uh, Uncle how could we let this happen with, with Dave Batista. <laughs> <laughs> you let them take everything we've built and give it to the Duke. How? Oh! And then and then just poke it out, man. Calm down. No, but again, and I also because I I had recently watched um, the David Lynch version, and it's so crazy how much like it's a two hour and it's a shorter movie, and they cover the whole book. It's literally yeah. like like reading a you'd get more of an emotional reaction out of reading a Sparks Notes of Doom <laughs> than watching the David Lynch one. Outside of like feelings of disgust, because like there's disgusting things in this movie or like creepy mm. things, but like there's like. A cat milking thing <laughs> in the David Lynch one, and Baron Baron Harkonnen, as they call him in the David Lynch one, Harkonnen is so gross and disgusting, and it's you're just like, oh god, stop! Oh, no. and, and like, oh. Ch- Chani is barely a character. Still, Stillgar is just there. I don't really feel anything <laughs> when Duke Leto gets killed. It's it's really and like the 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 biggest emotional reaction I think I had was when like Gertie Halleck, as played by the great Sir pa- like Patrick Stewart, is holding a pug and is in battle, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, which is so which is so great. But it reminds me like yeah, it's like you gotta appreciate this movie so much. And I think I was thinking about this a lot with this movie lately. Like we say, I said we, we said with you like a while ago, like with the. Um, it's a wonderful life. You have a healthy skepticism towards older, like classic movies, things that are like 
put up on a pedestal. This is this is yeah. This is, I this I I've I've had more scrutiny towards those movies. I think, admittedly. See, and I feel like I am the flip, where yeah, like people like because sometimes there are new things that come out that you might enjoy at the time, but then you try to revisit them and they're just like, what is this? Like, yeah, is this is that this going to be something I'm going to be talking about for the rest of my life? And in many cases, no. But Dune, Dune is something I can say is comfortably one of my favorite movies. Period. Um, regardless, I believe of, every word of that. Regardless of what happens with part two, because it's just such a beautiful production. I think I I really love all the characters. Um, the script. I know it's not the first thing that comes to mind, but there's just I just love everything they put into it. Like I think about when uh, Jamis is in one of the visions. It's like life. Uh, uh, life is not is is not something uh, where we have to solve the problem of, but it's a reality to experience. You know, and just so many great things. And it's just like I said, it, it it's it's become a, one of my favorite movies. Period. And mm-hmm. um. I can't say enough nice things about it, and if if I you did let me keep saying things, this episode would easily be five hours. Like, yeah, I can't. It, it'd, listen, I would just say it'd be like, listen, it's all you, man. Um, <laughs> you edit I just these wanna, things. I just want to double check and make sure. Uh, <laughs> I just love your note, dude. Pot dude. Two. But. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's 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 really uh, it's really incredible and i was it was kind of funny too because i was worried because the first trailer do you remember the first trailer for for this movie kinda it's not the one where it has like the the chanting in it right that's like it, one of the later ones yeah that was the second trailer the first trailer i wasn't that impressed by it, and i was very concerned like i knew i was going to see this movie but it didn't give me anything where i was like okay you know but this is just like which I feel like if 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 you if you didn't tell me that I would not have believed you. <laughs> no, no, because like given the uh, given the general excitement you've had for this movie since you first heard about it, I think it was yeah. it's 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 I'm not saying it's hard to believe it when you tell me that, but to a, to a degree, I mean, obviously you look back, you know, you might feel differently or whatever. But mm. uh, right, um, it's it's definitely an interesting thing to hear that maybe that's your least favorite thing about Dune is that first trailer. <laughs> that first trailer, I'm like, because the second Warner Brothers trailer, marketing get better. Uh, this, uh, and I, <laughs> and also like, just to say, like I saw this three times in theaters, which is um, something I never thought I would do, like post you know movie theaters reopening. But um, here we are. You know, uh, yeah. I saw this uh, in Dolby and I saw it twice in IMAX and. Um, yeah, I, I, and it's, it's, it's something that I will, I will try, like the first time I saw it too, I just want to bring up this story too. Um, shout mm-hmm. out to, to, uh, my friend and especially Mike's friend Vera, who, uh, saw it with us the first time and are my third time. And she had no expectations for this movie. Um, right. Like they, and they never read the book and all that, but they became a bigger Dune super fan than I am. <laughs> They saw, they watched when Dune was on HBO Max. They watched it like twelve times, and <laughs> how did someone out Dune you? They just did. Uh, she just did. like it. It was insane, and it was it was really quite an experience. And Mike, who Mike is a saint for dealing with how much I was excited for this movie, because <laughs> he he was so pissed off whenever he heard the chanting. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, and and then he saw the movie. He was like, "Damn, that was so good." <laughs> it's. I I just remember. I'll never forget. Like leaving the theater, and we talked about the movie for like a half hour in the lobby. I, That's I, what I you want. La- I can't remember That's the last time want. I had that. Like that is the mark of a great movie. Um, yeah. Which and also the big thing: dreams and visions are weird. But we'll get yeah. to that also with uh, our second film. Um, listen, we're gonna uh, we're gonna try to safely ride some sandworms. Uh, and where are we uh, going? Uh, well, uh, we're gonna go downtown, man. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, Tim of the Shallow Bay going downtown. Welcome back to Two Dudes One Double Feature. In our last segment, we talked about Dude One Joe or Duncan Idaho's favorite movie of 2021. What movie was that again? Dude Part One. One. <laughs> dude. Oh, Dude Part One. <laughs> That was that was you when you first ordered when you pre-ordered the digital version and then it came out and you're like oh dude one it was great just seeing it in my movies anywhere <laughs> catalog I'm like yay <laughs> Ooh, ah, I'm getting hot so Richard what are what is our second movie today our second movie is is my favorite movie of 2021 or at least uh, what it is now I could change after I see Nightmare Alley but who knows. I'll know once once I see it. For now, this is by far my favorite movie of last year, this year currently that we're still in, but will be. You know, I've explained that mm-hmm. already. <laughs> um, but I should say before we get into it that um, there there's uh, going to be a trigger warning. Joey might ha- might have mentioned it in the disclaimer already as well, but we're going to mention it one last time here again if that is the case. Um, this particular movie does talk a lot about abuse, um, physical, sexual, violent, whatever, just talks about abuse. And uh, if that is something that is triggering to you, by all means, 
don't listen to this second half. Um, last thing we want is for anyone to be uncomfortable, so don't listen to it. Uh, but anyway, my my favorite movie of 2021 is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Soho! <laughs> hey! Yes, Last Night in Soho. It's a great one. Which is named after a song. Named after a song. Which is the th- a third time I think Edgar Wright has done that. Potentially. Could you tell, tell the... I don't think tell the listeners what the other ones are. Um, well, Baby Driver is named after a song, and though technically uh, Scott Pilgrim is based on a comic, um, it, it the character Scott Pilgrim was named after a song called Scott Pilgrim, which is in the movie. So you can technically count that one, um, but more specifically, it's Baby Driver and then this one are both. And I imagine whatever the next movie is going to be. I kind of hope it's named after a song, so it's like the song trilogy, similar to the Cornetto trilogy. But, um, yes, Last Night in Soho, very good movie. A very different movie for Edgar Wright. Yes, it, it was... Because, like, if if your exposure to Edgar Wright is just, like, the shenanigans in Hot Fuzz <laughs> or just the really <laughs> crazy things in Scott Pilgrim... Uh, or just, you know, Baby Driver. See, if your exposure was, for a lot of people, I imagine, too, Baby Driver was a big, you know, was a big success. Um, this is mm. very different. It's not those movies. Like, it is an <laughs> Edgar Wright movie, but it's it's certainly one of his more, I'd say it's one of his more unique films in his catalog. 100%. I mean, it's the first time he's, auth- I think, not, maybe not authentically, that's not the right word for it, but he's the first time he's tackled uh, darker things and um, portrayed them darkly. Uh, may, it's a psychological thriller. I mean, he's I mean he's dabbled off. He 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 knows how to do like horror and he knows how to do thrillers. I think he's shown that. But uh, there's always been like a comedic um, overtone. Yes. So um, with this one, like it's got little funny bits, but it's it's not a comedy. At no, all. not at all. Like if you if you think there's a comedy, um, I'm genuinely concerned about you. <laughs> I, I I have questions, but I don't know if I want to talk to you. Seek help, <laughs> please. Uh, but yes, last night in Soho. Um, this is sort of like Edgar Wright's um, sort of. I guess you could call it like his riff on the '60s in a way, because. I was talking to Joey about this because um, I just watched both movies before we recorded, but or I watched this movie twice. I actually didn't. I'll, full disclosure: I didn't watch Doom, before. and I didn't. I didn't and. watch Soho before, so I'm going off of when I saw it in October. <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah, it happens. It's a. <laughs> I think we. Even, it's a memorable. Mo- they're both memorable <laughs> movies, so I don't think it's much of an yes. issue. It's just funny. It's just funny, and also it's harder. I mean, yeah, they're available, but they're expensive it's right like, now. I was willing to drop. And we could, <laughs> I was willing to drop thirty bucks, but I don't want to drop twenty bucks to rent Soho. No, no. I like listen. Universal. I, I appreciate that you're allowing uh, um, people to watch these movies at home, but it is a bit of a steep price. I'm just saying. Is that, that? I'm just saying. Yeah. But I did rent it, so there you go. You're welcome, Universal. <laughs> <laughs> you have my twenty dollars. Um. But, man, um, uh, this movie, 
uh, I was talking to I was talking to Joey about this and how like I feel like this movie could be paired with a lot of things. Yes. Um. Uh. You know, obviously, it takes a lot of inspiration from Jallo movies. You could probably pair it with that. Um. You could pair it with Malignant, which is another movie that got a lot of inspiration from Jallo films. One movie in particular, I was like, Joey, if we weren't doing this, I would think a really great pairing would be this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I agreed wholeheartedly. That would have been a great pairing. It would have been a really good parent because, like, someone brought this up in a review I was watching that there's there's not a lot of movies set in the '60s anymore. At least it doesn't feel like there are, and maybe part of that is because um, I think I think maybe Austin Powers has something to blame for that because you know obviously the '60s was sort of like a big element of that movie. Maybe I don't know. Um, I always feel like Austin Powers might have been a good pairing as well because, like, essentially the whole the whole theme of soho against like say a once upon a time in hollywood or an austin powers those two movies are sort of looking at the 60s or that time period through rose-colored glasses you know people that appreciate this aspect or that aspect and even even to the point where with with tarantino he takes a tragic aspect of it and turns it into something better he turns it into a positive by having the manson cult people getting killed by dicaprio and and pitt's characters or like um, how the entirety of Austin Powers, you can argue, is is uh, Mike Myers' care Mike Myers uh, as the writer and the lead actor of the movie, um, making a story that's sort of looking at the '60s in a fond way. But Soho, Last Night in Soho, essentially says essentially does that while also saying, "Don't do that." Mm-hmm that maybe nostalgia isn't as hyped up as it seems. And I mean, I'll talk more about like the themes of stuff about later, but um, this movie specifically, uh, we have our central character, Ellie played by Thomas and McKenzie, who's uh, this is the second time we've talked yes. about her um, on the show. Or as what was the tweet that you sent me the other day about like, like, cause she's got a baby yeah, voice. The, the, or baby, something. the baby. I can't, anybody else like want to bash their head in. Or something. Not that we feel that way. No, I'm like, like I think my response, like, because like I saw the tweet and they're like, you know, am I the only one that wants to bash their head in or something because of Thomas and Mackenzie's baby voice? And I'm like, or like, would it be offensive to say that I don't like her voice? And I was like, yes. (laughs) I'll say I think her voice, her voice does fit this character, but I'll get into that a little, uh, a little later. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, (laughs) um, but she plays Ellie. And Ellie is this, like, country girl in, in the UK that uh, has dreams and aspirations to move to the city and be a fashion designer. And she gets accepted into this fashion college. Um, her grandmother, as excited as she is for her and excited that she's going, also is sort of like, listen, you need to, to tiptoe into this because London is not the greatest place in the world. Like, there, you'll be by yourself there's going to be people there. There's going to be things there. You're a young woman going into a, a scary place. Just, you know, be prepared. And she's she's obviously very confident in herself, and she's just very excited. She's sort of focused on that. And, like, the moment she gets there, she learns very quickly that it's uh, potentially uncomfortable. And the more she's there, she is sort of, like, you know, very closed off. She's, like, not happy. Like, her roommate's kind of awful to her. Um everybody's sort of stuck up there isn't really a lot of nice people and so she's really like oh god what am i doing so 
she's able so she ends up getting away and finding this place uh in soho that she ends up staying at for the remainder of her semester or at least that's the plan for the remainder of her semester and uh when she gets there she loves it because it it evokes the 60s it evokes sort of an older feel and she's as um as it's stated at the very beginning of the movie, she's sort of enamored with that time period. She listens to the music of that time. She loves the movie. She idolizes the people of that time. Like, like one of the, like, like one of my favorite shots is when Thomas and McKenzie sort of poses as, uh, Audrey Hepburn from breakfast Tiffany's with like the fake, like cigarette, like holder thing. Um, and so like, this is, this is something that feels right to her. Now, I, I will admit this is something that could, potentially be like confusing for some people but um while they don't necessarily go into it too much she does have sort of a sixth sense um which they explained visually which i respected that edgar wright did that honestly because like you could have you could have easily just had to explain like a million different things and you could have made it like a weird superpower thing but no it's just something that she has and and you explain it by just having the grandmother aware that it exists and um, she sees her her mom who's dead. She sees her in a mirror, and that's you know there you go. That's all you need. Show don't tell. Rule number one of screenwriting. Yeah, she has the sixth sense where she can um, see ghosts or or she has some sort of clairvoyanceness or like connects with ghosts or whatever. And so this one room that she's living in now in Soho has a history, and it's centered around this one girl from this one girl from the sixties. Uh, named Sandy, who's played by Anya Taylor Joy or a- Anya Taylor Joy. I'm sorry. I know there's been like, s- as far as pronun- pronouncing the name, so I apologize if I mess it up. But uh, Anya Taylor Joy plays Sandy, and she, we meet her through these sort of vision slash dreams that Thomas and Mackenzie has of like being transported to the 60s whenever she goes to bed, and while she's there. She initially starts loving it, and she idolizes Sandy. She's like, Sandy is the epitome of, like, the greatness of the 60s. She's a confident woman who who staves off any man that's, like, trying to, like, get in her way. Um, she gets what she wants, and, you know, that's what it sort of comes off as. But then you start to realize there's a little bit more to her story, and that maybe it's a little bit more tragic than you realize. Right. Um, which includes uh, her being forced into prostitution, by uh her manager slash boyfriend jack played by matt smith who i knew as the doctor so this is definitely an interesting turn from him going from sort of a, like a willy wonka-esque like upbeat weird character as the doctor when he was doctor who to playing this genuinely despicable person right and so and so while um this is all happening um ellie has to start figuring out what happened to sandy is Jack still alive and how can I like stop having these visions because now I'm starting to get stalked by like ghosts of this room or whatever. And so it's, it's a pretty intense movie at times, but I mean, this was, this was a movie that was like my most anticipated of the year, but like we did with the last part, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this one first. Um, well, right from the first trailer, I'm like, this looks great. It it was one of the best, one Mm -hmm. of the best trailers I had seen. I think Edgar Wright edits his own trailers. I feel like I don't know if I'm. I, don't quote me on that, but I feel well, like he whoever does. does it, kudos to you because that first trailer it doesn't le it it, it doesn't it, you think you know but you don't. <laughs> but, and nope. and uh, you know it makes you think of like Psycho. I think that was one of the big things I was thinking about. I know you're you're gonna get to the 
Mar- like the I guess the Italian influences and stuff. But I I think that was my first like direct comparison is Psycho, and I think about. Um, <laughs> Which I think is very appropriate, like Hitchcock as Hitchcock, well. Hitchcock, and just like, you don't show up to this movie late, because uh, after a certain point, you're just like, oh no! What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think about the last shot, too, where, uh, or one of the last shots, like the last shot in like Psycho, you see Anthony Perkins, uh, you know, staring at the camera, smiling, and it looks so creepy. With like the skeleton <laughs> face. Yeah. And I think about uh, Anya Taylor Joy at the end, where, where they see her in like the the mirror, and and she and she has such very distinct eyes. It's been noted upon before. She she has, oh she's she's she has she's one of the most distinct like faces ever, and I don't mean that in like a bad no. way. And she's she's genuinely it's, gorgeous, but like the eyes it, alone. It, it, it was are... always a weird thing for me because I I feel like she's like a silent actress, like. You just see her face, and she feels like she's from like a completely different like time, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's great. And who's had a better last year and a half, other than New, New Mutants, than Anya Taylor? Anya Taylor Joy. Like, think think about it. It's uh, like Queen's Gambit was such such a big thing. This um, she she's been in so many things. Like, and she's she's sort of becoming like a scream queen a little bit. She was in Split. And like the those those movies, um, the witch obviously, which is, uh, you know, I know some people have their opinions on it. I think it's great, but uh, she's she's had an amazing career, and this is just sort of like the continuance of that. And so it's it's it's, it's amazing it's amazing to get to see the more she does. I, I was thinking about um, like again her like sometimes there are certain like shots where like the eyes are like they're so they're just so hypnotic, and you're just like oh no. <laughs> Like even even just the shots where you see like the color change and like the flashing of like green yes. and and red, yeah. and she's just staring directly in the camera, and you can't not look at her eyes. You're like, oh, um, <laughs> like you're you're locked in. But this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, you know, it's probably my my top three. You know, because I, I like Dune, mm-hmm. Godzilla, um, Godzilla versus Kong, and then probably this, um, and then Carnage. Actually, probably Suicide Squad. I would say. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, but right. but, but Venom is close. <laughs> 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 but this movie, um, you know, I, I think the cast is really like it was just the last movie. The cast is just is is sensational. Um, everybody, it's, everybody's great. It's genuinely genuinely perfect. perfect. Um, I think about uh, Thomas and McKenzie is so good, but going back to the voice thing. Her voice, mm-hmm. I, I never had a problem with her voice and other things. Like, I actually watched her in uh, Power of no. Dog, which is a, I think was a boring movie. But um, she was in Power of Dog. Was she, she good was, in she it? Was, she was fine. You know, she wasn't the biggest character. But yeah. it was like, it was like, oh, it's Thomas and McKenzie. And so she's there. Oh, hey, you know? cool. Um, I doing? mainly remember that movie because like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch says, fatso, like in his like American voice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, Scooby-Doo this, fatso. Um no, but getting back on track, <laughs> Thomas and McKenzie, I think she's got a great voice for this because the way she plays it, like, and I feel like this is me with Dune, where it's like you talk to these some people, what what they're obsessed by, and they can be some of the most annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, if I met this character, if I met Ellie in real life, I'd be so, I would never want to listen to anything from the '60s ever because she's just it's like there's like she loves it too much. It's like 
even not counting the fact that like there's still problematic things with whatever it's just the way like it's fine if you like certain things at the time but it's like dear god oh oh my goodness and like her her one friend her 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 buddy like slash boyfriend guy i don't john John, like yeah i feel like he's he's along for this ride and he's just like man he's like listen she seems cool you know, I care about her. I'm going to stick uh, along. I do want to see how it works uh, I do want to mention, okay, uh, there's a lot of names to mention, but I I, I want to mention Terrence Stamp. Of course. I feel like if there's one person that you would that you would have to mention. Uh, as, as you, we all know my feelings on, on, on his general Zod and uh, his appearance in... Just, just him in general. Him in general, of course, but <laughs> I love him as general Zod. He's fantastic. He's so good in this movie. Um He's the best part of the Haunted Mansion movie. He is. Movie. He's so great. <laughs> he's so great. And that movie's so wasted. It's like, there's some, it's like, man, he's one of the, the, the nuggets of that movie, golden nuggets in that movie. But he, and it's so great because when you watch the trailer, you think, you clearly think, you think, oh, this has to be, this, this has to be the guy, you know, it's, it's like, he's gotta be, something's up some, with him. He's gotta be. It's like, guy. oh no, he's just, just, you know, maybe a little slimy, but not like awful <laughs> 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 nothing's what you expect <laughs> now Terrence Stamp is is so good like he he he's sort of like this drifter like old dude that like wears the same outfit every time you see him almost and like the first time you see him he's walking out of like a gentleman's club in Soho or something and then every time you see him he comes off sort of like uncomfortable and so it's it's not like it's not like you can't see why ellie thought that he was the guy but (laughs) like he's not the guy he's just creepy (laughs) like he's just he's he's just creepy (laughs) like he even he even knows it too he's like are you afraid of me girl no (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) that might be after credits audio material too I'm going to the London College of Fashion. <laughs> I listen. I I, th- I love I love her voice. I think it's um, great. Um, yes. <laughs> but no, uh, Terrence Stamp is great. Um, Diana Rigg. We gotta talk about like rest in peace, Diana Rigg. Yes. Um, Bond girl, Game of Thrones. Um, she she's amazing in this movie. Also. I gotta, I gotta remember her name. Speaking of that, uh, the woman that plays Ellie's grandmother, Margaret M- Margaret Nolan, um, great in the movie as well. Also recently passed away. Literally passed away a couple of months before the movie came out, or no, a couple of well, no, a couple of months after. after yeah, after production. After production yeah, for Diana Rigg. So it's two two great actors lost in such a short period of time, and they're both very. I know. Uh, Margaret Nolan's only used so much in the movie, but she she comes off so loving and endearing, obviously towards Ellie and just wanting her to be safe. Um, she's and then she's Diana yeah. Rigg um, plays. Oh my god! Like she's she's so good. Okay, so spoiler alert. Here's just I'm gonna spoil the hell out of this movie. So I, if you haven't seen it, I apologize, but you probably figured this was gonna happen anyway, um, or at least you should have. I'll just say that. Um, so at one point. Ellie sees a vision uh, of all of her visions. She sees Jack, who's the who's Matt Smith's character in the '60s, um, sort of 
the pimp slash manager character to Sandy and New Taylor Joy's character. Um, Ellie sees a vision that Jack kills her, or what she's what uh, Ellie assumes is Jack killing Sandy, and so um, she's trying to figure out. Um, if Jack is, she's trying to figure things out, and so sort of this mystery element comes into play, and she starts to assume that Taryn Stamp's character is Jack in modern times, and so she's trying to find some evidence after she talks to the police of Taryn Stamp's character killing uh, Sandy in the '60s, and what we learn is that Taryn Stamp is actually a police officer who met Sandy in the 60s and sort of uh, maybe he was like an SVU sort of cop or something or sort of like in a like a he they called him ex-vice as well so he probably worked on a lot of those circles and uh and it's funny too like when you watch the movie twice or like watching it again um and you and you know that going in you can definitely see it so it's nice that the tracks were laid out right uh we learn that he's actually a cop named Lindsay uh, who was an ex-vice cop, and he actually ends up dying in a really crazy way, which also sort of gets set up because there's so many times Ellie almost gets hit by a car because she's not paying attention to the streets, but also because she's uh, being freaked out by the ghosts that's stalking her. Um, right. And so uh, yeah. Terrence Stamp gets stopped in the middle of the street um, literally after he had stopped her in the middle of the street and almost got her hit by a car. Uh, which is, you know, I just love when Edgar Wright does his foreshadow thing. Um, then Terrence Stamp gets hit by a car, and you're like, Motherfucker! <laughs> oh, no! Um, no, it's it's genuinely shocking when that happens. And then um, with, uh, with this mystery, obviously now we don't know what happened to Jack. Is Jack still alive? What we, what, what we learn is that uh, the vision that Ellie saw was not actually what happened. What happened, and this is also this also explains why Ellie keeps getting stalked by a lot of the the gentleman callers that came in to to Sandy's room when she was a prostitute. Um, Ellie uh, Ellie starts seeing Sandy's suitors in like ghost form, and like their faces are all blacked out. Uh, we learn that Sandy uh, is actually a serial killer. And this is a moment, too, it should be mentioned, that this is a moment that is sort of a make or break. Like, I remember watching this moment and thinking, please don't do this. Please don't do this. <laughs> Where you make Sandy the villain. Don't do it. But the twist is that Sandy actually was the one that kills Jack and um, actually ended up killing all the people that uh, Jack sent to her room. Um, who are now buried and and haunt that room, and so Ellie gets stalked by these guys, um, and Jack as well. And then we learn that Sandy, whose real name is Alexandria, is Diana Rigg this whole time, who's the 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 caretaker lady, um, and and uh, such a great turn too. Like when when Ellie's sitting there with the cup of tea and she's drinking it, and then um, Diana Rigg's telling the story about how she was this young woman that metaphorically died in that room because of Jack, and then she stabbed him and then stabbed all these other guys because of the abuse and uh, everything that happened with that. Um, such a great turn. Right. But it's, but again, there's that moment where you're like, oh no, don't do this, Edgar. 
Edgar, please. Especially after you just worked with two actors in your last movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, that's a whole other thing. But um, thankfully, what was really cool is at the end of the movie... Um, all the all the gentleman suitor ghost people, or Johns, I guess as they're called, which is sort of why the central boyfriend's character's name is John, I believe. Um, but uh, um, all the Johns or all the like sort of blank face ghosts are telling Ellie, "Help us kill her," and and wonderfully, and this is where I'm like, okay, thank you for doing this. Um, Ellie looks at them and says, "No." And then she looks at Diana Rigg, who finally sees all the ghosts that Ellie's been seeing and sees uh, her younger self in her reflection in the mirror and is like, I didn't want any of this. And she's like, I'm not going to prison. And so she was going to kill herself. But Ellie's like, no, I'm sorry you had to go through this. You don't deserve this. You deserve better than this. And um, it was very is kind of a heartbreaking moment. The end of the scene, the end of that, the end scene when um diana riggs just sitting in the fire uh that in that start because like a fire starts in the in the building that they live in and uh she just sits and let the flames engulf her while ellie and the boyfriend get out um and get in the ambulance it's 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 a it's a genuinely like heartbreaking moment at the end of the movie uh but point being diana Riggs is is incredible in the movie and you know rest in peace obviously I think for me, one of the, the 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 scenes that stood out to me the most was when she's in the library. Oh yeah, but not even like just like for like the shocking, like just because I think there's a part where she's like re- trying to research, and the and the ghosts are just standing mm-hmm. around, like the lights are flashing and they're coming closer and closer. The, and it, but it, but it's like it, I feel like it's parts of it where it's just treated as like a mundane thing that like these predator these predators and these guys. These creeps, mm-hmm. they're just, they're just, there. yeah, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're just, um, and people have to deal with the fact that they're just like, a lot of these people just get to roam every day. I mean, obviously those guys got killed, but like, it's, it's like, just, it's, it, it could be, it's like, yeah, it'll haunt you. Uh, who was the other, sorry, who was the other writer on this? Um, her name is Christy, uh, shoot, sorry. Um, God, uh, let me, I gotta look up the, wikipedia on this but she's actually done a lot of cool stuff on that note and honestly she's a very important aspect of the whole movie I should be, figure because she i feel like she's a big um and i think it, it also should be noted that it was i think it's a it was definitely a good move to have a female voice for a story like this because obviously you know edgar wright's directing it he co-wrote the script but i feel like uh christy wilson Ah, Christy Wilson Kearns, I believe. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She actually um, has only so many credits for projects that she's worked on. She actually worked on. She was one. She was a lead staff writer, or not a lead staff writer, but a staff writer on uh, Penny Dreadful, which is a show we love. And she wrote the screenplay, which I believe she got a, an Academy Award nomination for this. But she wrote the screenplay for 1917. So. Yeah, so she co-wrote that with uh, uh, Sam Mendes. But she co-wrote this with Edgar Wright. And a lot of the experience, like like I was reading up about this a little bit, um, a lot of the experience uh, in the film when it comes to Soho, obviously Edgar Wright has some connection with Soho. And uh, with with, uh, Christy Wilson-Kearns, 
she actually lived in Soho and worked at the actual bar that Ellie works at in the movie. Oh, which I think is still so. Like, if you go to Soho, you can go to the Toucan, which is what the bar is called. Which that's another that's another crazy thing. Um, Soho and like that part of London is one of the busiest, like twenty four hour, constantly open places, and they filmed there, like the entire thing. It's like imagine if you did an entire movie in Times Square. Oh wow, I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around that. It's just, it's so, like, that's one of the most, like, speaking of tangible things, like we talked about with Dune, there's so many amazing practical aspects of Last Night in Soho, um, especially for a movie that has a lot of, like, dream sequences, has a lot of, uh, like, m- like mirror tricks that they do, especially with Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie sort of being in the same spot. Um, they they shot, a, if they could do it, a vast majority of this movie practically, so like one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes is the dance sequence in the first sort of dream um when Jack is dancing with Sandy and then like periodically uh you'll see Thomas and McKenzie as Ellie show up um there's two shots I believe that are uh digital recreations but when you get to like after those two initial points everything else is practical so, like, they had to choreograph the switch and everything just to get it perfectly. And it's so, so beautifully done. And, like, every, like, every, like, if you look at something and you think this, how could this have been practical? Yeah. I bet you it probably was. Like, it's, it's insane. And that's something that doesn't happen a lot either with movies. I feel like there's, like, there's not, not that I have any problem with CGI. I think we've talked about like how like you can like really good CGI can be something truly useful, but I think there's just been this reliance on CGI to a certain point, and so it's nice when a movie tries to like be tangible, and if they use CGI, they use it. They use it as a tool, sparingly, or at least yeah, they use it as a so tool that it doesn't overtake. Where listen, yeah. you have so many other tricks in the filmmaking book, um, you know that CGI should not be should not always be the first last first and last thing that you're doing, you know? And I think both that's a big thing with both of these movies is uh just the the, the tangibility of things um that the like especially with with these films being shot in real places and real locations, I think that has um has a tremendous impact. I'm even thinking about Hawkeye being shot in New York. <laughs> like <laughs> like thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't just digitally recreate Nor- <laughs> New York. Thank you. Nork. Yeah, it's not Did I just say Nork? Jersey, Richard. That'd be a very dark place. <laughs> Nork? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's vis- visually, it looks great. Um, like, it, the whole, the whole it's, a, it's a really well-made movie. And I also just feel bad because, like, I'm just looking at, I, I focus a lot on box office stuff, obviously. Uh, this You do. Yeah, because this this movie, let's just, I'll just say it like this: I'm someone that is still not very comfortable seeing movies in theaters. I'm getting to a point where I can figure out a way to be comfortable seeing movies in theaters, and typically, um, it's if the movie doesn't seem like it's going to do well, or like if guaranteed there's going to be no one in the theater. And when I went and saw Soho, there was barely anyone in the theater, so like I personally felt comfortable, but to some degree, I was also like, well, this sucks. Because it would have been nice if this was if this yeah, made a little like, bit more money. 
I was I went I saw this with my mom and my brother, and there there are seven people total in the theater, three of which were us. There were two other parties of two in the theater, <laughs> and we are very socially distanced too, which was a nice experience. But at the same time, I feel like I mean, and also this movie didn't cost like outrageous amounts of money. This movie cost forty three million dollars, which is is lower than what a mid-budget movie would be sometimes like that's i mean that's that's pretty that's pretty cheap for a movie with you know it's but again like the pandemic obviously plays a role in this stuff but i can't help but i i, I think about baby driver too, yeah that was very successful you know yeah that was very successful and i feel like i mean i know this doesn't have like quite the same star power that 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 had but I, I I feel that it could have overcame those that that I don't know. It, it's a weird we we're living in weird times is what I'm trying to say here. We're living in weird times, but you know what? I think what's funny about that is that I think this movie is sort of a commentary on the times that we live in, as far as like the types of media that people consume. Because one of the biggest one of the biggest themes about this movie is nostalgia, which we've talked about it a million times on here. It's a huge huge marketing thing these days i mean so many things are that are being made that aren't superhero movies even even superhero movies have the same goddamn thing fucking spider-man its whole selling point right now the new spider-man movie is that villains from past movies are going to be in it i mean jesus christ um and i will admit as someone who's very excited to see michael keaton as batman again that's a big selling point for the flash movie is michael keaton being batman or, you know, again, so many movies that are just retoolings. Like, you know, what was it? Ghostbusters Afterlife was that, a big that movie was like, for a lot of people. <laughs> like, retool, um, reboot, nostalgia. Especially the last half. <laughs> which literally plays, like, <laughs> Ghostbusters, but in the middle of America. <laughs> Midwest Ghostbusters. Yes. Uh, but this movie is basically saying how nostalgia, like, can be used poorly or how we shouldn't necessarily look at it's like a cautionary tale when it comes to nostalgia like we look at we think about memories and we think about time periods but we only think about the good stuff like we think of like ghostbusters as one of those big 80s movies or any of these other big 80s movies that you know defined their time period and so many people are like oh my god how do we capture that again it's like well let's and then one person's like well let's just make another one or let's reboot it, or let's remake it, or let's just bring back that because, you know, you know X, Y, and Z, let's just do that. And that's the nostalgia factor. That's why all these things are being done these days. And it's like, listen, the 80s, which is like a big nostalgia thing right now, the 80s aren't weren't great. There's a lot of terrible shit that happened in the 80s. And in the, in the case of the 60s, the same thing can be said. I mean, you can look at the 60s and be like, oh, the music was great, the fashion was great. You know, especially 60s in the UK, you know, that that style, was so, I feel like, is sort of almost the epitome of 60s aesthetic, is 60s in, right. in, in, the, in England. And, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it was, you know, the best era ever. You know, even like or that, that it was no, the best era Sorry. for everybody. Because I think about this meme where it's like, man, I was born in the wrong time period. I wish I was born at, like so I could experience the fifties. And I love this. I always think about this response where like, Oh yeah, you just want milkshakes and racism. 
<laughs> segregation yeah. is your beef, it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that's the that's the whole point is that um, we forget about all these like the the the, the shitty reality of a lot of these things. Um, or we try to romanticize that, like in a in a weird way, like the ending of uh, yep. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a little bit. Um, even like just memories of our own in general. Like I think about, um, like I've had a lot of, you know, f- just even though it was very immediate. Like I think yep. about our Disney trip a lot, and I think about like all the great stuff that happened there. But I try to gloss over like that last day, which was really stressful, or like the Universal Day, which was admittedly pretty stressful. Yeah, like little moments here and there. Um, you know, and it's like, like the, the, it's the truth of, of the situation that it wasn't entirely perfect, but you know, I, I tend to look at it with rose colored glasses. I fully admit that, but that's, that's what this movie is trying to say is that these time periods and obviously this, like the Disney trip is a whole different thing. Obviously it's much lesser than, but uh, you know that's the whole point of the movie is that nostalgia isn't the best thing in the world necessarily, especially if it like keeps you back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and you like you need you need that perspective on things, you know. And uh, I think about um, I think about Duncan what Duncan Idaho says in Dune, where it's like dream dreams make good stories, mm-hmm. but everything important that happens to us is in reality. You know, and both of these things, both these movies are about dreams and how we got to be careful about dreams and visions. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I mean, like there's a there's there's actually a lot of good comparison points between these two movies. Um, But uh, like with with it, with with Soho, like that's sort of the the crux a little bit, you know, because we see we see Ellie. Like, like you, like we were saying, just romanticize. Like, like I think there's so many times she's like, the music was better in the '60s, the fashion was better in the '60s. Even when she's making her her design for her for her project at school, at the fashion school she goes to, um, she is evoking a '60s aesthetic, and it's like you know, it it just sort of gets turned on its on its head when. Uh, you know, she starts to see the sort of more true nature of the '60s, and it's 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 scary. <laughs> admittedly, like you know, just seeing like even just seeing all the stuff that Sandy goes through in the movie. I think one of the most heartbreaking moments is you know, especially after we meet Jack, because when we first when you first meet Jack, Matt Smith's character, and Matt Smith's very good in the movie. I just want to point that out as well. Um, and he, and he plays it very sadistic. Like he's, he is a despicable person. Like he doesn't play it. Like he, he, he plays it really good. But, um, when you first meet him, he's super charming. He's super like, you know, like he seems like a genuinely good person almost, or like at least a charming person. And then, um, the next thing you see is, uh, Sandy, uh, and him talking to this like older dude and, the older dude's like, you know, what? how about you and me go get a drink somewhere? Just us. And then Sandy's like, I'm with Jack. And then the guy's like, well, Jack doesn't mind, do you, Jack? And then Jack just looks directly at Sandy with a toothpick in his mouth and goes, not one bit. And you're like, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> and then it just spirals down from that point on. And it just, uh. And there's like hints of that throughout the whole movie, too. Like you just sort of see, because like obviously 
Gran, Ellie's Gran is like saying, listen, you know, be careful, be cautious when you go into the city. And like the first thing that happens when Ellie's in the city, she's, she gets, she takes a cab, she's going to the dormitory where uh, she's going to stay and she's very excited. But then the cab driver is yes. a huge oh my creep, gosh. which Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that was sort of like, that's sort of like the first hint, the first indication that things are not exactly. It's a nice tone set. Great. Yes. And I think it also like it's sort of it's it's sort of great to see it's weird to say sort of great you're talking about that. <laughs> it's sort of great, you know. But uh <laughs> but it's 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 great um from a from a director standpoint to see how much Edgar Wright has has grown as a filmmaker. Like you look at his other movies, not that they're not mature, but they're very silly, they're very fun entertaining and then you watch this movie and he's tackling subjects you don't expect a director like him to really go for and i think it really shows his growth as a director and 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 the the maturity level he uh, to which he utilizes all these characters and the time periods in question and the points he's trying to make and again having um his co-writer who if you watch a lot of interviews with him when he talks about soho christy wilson kearns is with him because i think her voice is just as much impactful to the story and the storytelling as his was like yeah he's the director you'll immediately think of him but i think she's just as important a factor to the storytelling of it and i think that that is a very important thing especially i mean i said this already but especially for the subject matter that we're talking about because this is a sort of a post me too sort of movie obviously um but uh what what i'm gonna look at the notes so i'm trying to think out what else i can mention here there's so there's so much to say. It's it's certainly something. I'm I'm I I hope this becomes like a cult classic, you know, that people people go back to and go like, man, that was a good movie. I just hope people give it a chance and they don't just like steer away from it because of how different it is to everything else Edgar Wright's ever done. But also, I mean, you know, given the fact that his last movie was Baby Driver, which you know, I'll just say right now, I think it's a very good movie. It might not be my favorite movie that Edgar Wright's ever done, but I think it is a genuinely good movie that unfortunately got, at least at first, got pulled down because of the revelation that, or the the, the reveal, if you will, that Kevin Spacey is a terrible person and did terrible things. And then it, and then it gets even more pulled down because of the Ansel Elgort factor, because of you know, the allegations against him. And so I think it's unfortunate that that movie sort of went down the way it did because it is, a, it's such a well-made movie and it's so like one of my favorite things about Edgar Wright. And I hope, you know, what, I'm going to put this out there. I hope Edgar Wright does a musical because there's such a rhythm to every movie he does. And he clearly loves music. I think the soundtrack for this is incredible and i think the soundtrack for baby driver is incredible soundtrack for like pretty much every one of his movies is incredible but um there's such a like to the point rhythm beat motion of this movie that i it's almost like perfectly edited you know what i mean mm. and yeah like obviously everything's done to the like i think that was sort of the shtick with baby drivers that everything was done to the beat of the music uh, but with this, it's sort of the case, but like, it's just to the rhythm of the story, I guess, or the rhythm of the music within the story. And music is such an important thing. Um, like even uh, Downtown, 
Yes. Um, I think down like the, like which is such a central song to the entire movie. Downtown, I think, is a perfect metaphor for the whole theme because downtown is such an upbeat, up uplifting song, I guess, or and maybe not uplifting, but upbeat song. And yet, if if you look at the lyrics, if you actually like listen to it, there's a little bit of darkness there. And so, and I love that Anya Taylor Joy or Anya Taylor Joy. Ugh, sorry. Um, I love that she sings like a sort of sort of haunting acapella version of it in the movie mm-hmm. which almost makes it fit better to the whole aesthetic right oh man there's like i said there's so many great things and oh i gotta mention um uh the the jallo influence a little bit here yes so i'm sorry i'm just rambling on a little bit but <laughs> mm, it's okay but um there's a there's a heavy influence from like uh italian 60s horror thrillers with uh giallo films which i I think i talked about it once or twice on the show but um it's this type of horror movie that i think doesn't get talked about as much unless you're like a an aficionado of the genre or like a film person yeah um like when was the last time you heard of people like dario argento or uh, Mario Bava or any people like that. When I heard somebody online talking about how terrible that fan of the opera movie he made, uh, <laughs> that Argento made was. <laughs> Didn't he also do a that Dracula a... movie with uh, Jack Palance? I think so. But that, you ever see that his Phantom Mm-mm. with uh, Julian, I think Julian Sands is the, is the guy who doesn't, just, just brief tangent, no disfigurement. He has rats with him and I, I don't even want to talk about where that goes because that's, whoa, whoa. And his daughter's his daughter is is like is Christine in that version, and mm. the whole thing is weird. Is just a very strange <laughs> experience. And it was made even stranger by the fact that I've seen Julian Sands speak in person. <laughs> he was at my university. I was working at one of the shows that I, he was there talking about his career and stuff. I don't think he talked about phantom obviously because that's such a that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's not, a very weird thing it's not a it's not one he wants uh, yeah. to bring up probably he seemed like an interesting enough guy sorry <laughs> i just wanted to my brief uh no. ar- just my my dark my argento connection you have like uh it's it's uh it's like that meme where the little kid is being lifted up in the pool it's like oh yay the happy memories and then i'm the kid in the side struggling like ah help Uh, I thought you were going to say you were the kid under the pool. (laughs) No, I'm not that bad. (laughs) But, but I will say like, like Argento at the very least, like outside of that movie (laughs) does have a, a a solid reputation with that, with the Jallo genre. Like a lot of people consider him sort of the the last word essentially. Cause he, like he made a movie called deep red, which was a good movie. Um, that's sort of, for many people. That's sort of the movie, like the the quintessential Jalla movie. If you ever try to get into those movies, um, there's even um, a ref, a couple references to him. Uh, the fact that there's a club called Inferno, which is based off okay. of a movie called yeah. a, a movie called Inferno. That are it's the same font and everything. Um, mm, and then the wow. and then the lighting scheme, I think, is very much taken from Mario Bava, who he like. I love colorful horror films. I mean, we talk about that with Hammer horror movies. I think, I think, um, Jalla movies, the Italian horror films, um, which sort of have a similar reputation to, to Hammer, I think, 
they they have such a colorful palette like splashes of color everywhere like the 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 lighting scheme is so wonderful and this is one of the most colorful movies i've seen in in recent like like and this is intentional too um edgar wright just made this like wonderfully colorful movie um that that takes a lot of aspects from baba and it and i and i think maybe it's just the contrast of the idea of such a dark story like a murder mystery like say like blood and black lace which makes me think of soho a lot it's a great movie by the way um it's a murder mystery with like violence and whatnot and yet the music is very like sort of up tempo and the 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 color palette is like a rainbow it's kind of insane it's like stark blacks with like strong hints of blue in the background and sort of like a purplish pink red sort of like front like center light on the actor's face it's so good and he utilizes that coloring so many times um and it's so like some of my favorite scenes in the movie are like just small like flash moments of like Anya Taylor-Joy Anya (laughs) Taylor-Joy Of Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith, just with, like, blue and some hints of green and red and orange and stuff. It's so good, man. And seeing that seeing that um, digitally, because I remember you were saying, like, Dune digitally looked really good. Like, seeing Soho digitally. And it was shot in film. So, kudos to that. Uh, it looks so good. And so, the influences are definitely there. And I think Repulsion was also a big influence on, on him as well. Mm, sort like, of, Yeah. Sort of that, like... Yeah. A psychological thriller aspect um that that movie entails um yeah dude i this movie like i i cried a couple of times watching it admittedly you know oh, wow. like i think the part when like thomas and mckenzie when Allie's just sort of on her last rope and she's on the payphone like wanting her grandma to come get her like that broke my heart oh yeah and then, of course, like oh the the end scene when you know with Diana Rigg and the fire, just so heartbreaking. Um, it, my I I don't have any like crying things, but I, my, the funniest thing was when my mom saw this movie, and she really loved it. Mm-hmm. But there's like she's she's just, like sees like the the record. She's like, I have that. I had that album. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's just like as all these like things are going on, it's like. I had that. I like that song. <laughs> I'm just picturing like this really like emotionally distraught scene, and your mom just leaning over, going, "I have that record." <laughs> or leaning over, "This is so good. I love the soundtrack. This, the music is great. That's my favorite part." Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, my mom was very excited for the for this one. She loved mm. the trailers for it and was like, "Ooh." This looks so. Di- this looks different. I like it. it. It's it. Yeah. No, dude. It's so different, and it and for good reason. Like we don't have a lot of movies like this anymore. We don't even like we don't have a lot of movies set in the sixties. No, you know what? I was I was thinking about that when you said that. I was th- and back to my uh, milkshakes and racism thing. Mm-hmm. You gotta think about the civil rights movement at that time, mm-hmm. and I feel like movies that are set in the sixties might try to either be about like civil rights or space. Like I think about like uh, was that First Man. Mm. right um yeah yeah you know because that's what i think i think about like things set in the 60s made today it's like okay it's got to be about the civil rights movement because it's like easy oscar bait and then you also have like stuff with space and other um, all that Mm -hmm. 
both of these movies, I mean, 2021, um, I didn't get to see everything I wanted to yet in 2021. Neither have I. 2021 felt like, but 2021 felt like a nice return because there were a lot of really interesting movies that came out this year. A lot of really good movies and things that, things that you don't, you don't really see every day. Um, and I think these two movies are really good examples um, of, of filmmakers, um, you know, Denis Villeneuve and, and uh, Edgar Wright at the top of their craft, making uh, really just exceptional work that I, I, I even like, I think about these movies all the time. Yeah. Like, and these are, like I said, like I said, I'm, I'm the guy that's like skeptical. I'm like, am I going to like this? Like T minus 10 minutes from now, am I going to overthink about this? Like, and these movies, I'm like, I can't wait to see Soho again. And after this, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I'm going to watch Dune and uh, <laughs> uh, eat dinner. <laughs> yeah, man, like, I think it was funny because, like, I was talking about this. We've actually talked about all of our favorite movies, at least, at least the four most important movies to both of us this year on the show. Because um, we talked about we talked about Godzilla vs. Kong, which was your other favorite movie yes. of the year. We talked about the Suicide Squad, which was my other favorite movie of the year, and yeah. um, both of which I think were movies that did a lot of things that we wanted them to do, but also did things we don't see a lot of other movies. Like I think of I think of Suicide Squad, uh, the Suicide Squad, <laughs> and, and I think of the fact that if this this if this movie was made in like the two thousands. Um, Starro would be like a smoke thing or would be like some stupid thing that wouldn't look like Starro and I would hate it. Um, but you know, 2021 James Gunn's like, no, 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 we're putting fucking Starro in this movie. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, and then, uh, with this episode, we've now talked about Dune and last night in Soho, which I think, I think in a lot of ways too, both of these movies sort of define the types of things we both like in movies. Because I think, and I think, and yes. I think that's not just individually just to us. I think it's definitely there for individual, but I think it also is for both of us. Because we want we we like big, huge spectacle movies that are more or less stuff that are that we never really experienced before. We also love um, lots of color, um, tangibility, practicality, um, and just genuinely like people making these movies that love the material or love what they're doing and doing the best they can and working with amazing people. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's something that's kind of an in general thing, but I think these movies definitely define what we like at, in movies in a lot of respects. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't, I, uh, I agree with that 110%. Um, folks, people, what are your favorite movies of 2021 the past year and why? We, I definitely want to see some answers on the next episode we record, uh, yeah. or whenever, whenever I get to read them, you know, because we record this. This is December thirteenth. We're recording this. You won't guys won't hear this <laughs> until a month from now. Um, <laughs> but I do want to. I do want to hear your your thoughts. Uh, what are your favorites of the year? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We both have Letterboxed. We have a YouTube channel. Check us out. Check us out, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys so much for everything you do. We love you so much. 
And of course, a hint to next week's double feature. We are talking about two films that are both categorized as the greatest movie of all time. Stay tuned. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs>